What's going on, everybody? Back at you with another episode of the MMA Fresh Take Podcast. It's been quite some time since I put one of these together, but I did want to make sure that I got back right after UFC 224 to break down the fights and what went down on that pay-per-view card last night in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Sorry for the hiatus. It's been pretty crazy time at work, but um, let's get right to it. Let's talk about the fights from last night, including the Bellator fights as well. We're going to talk about UFC 224, Nunes vs. Pennington, Bellator 199, uh, Bader vs. King Mo Lawal. And we'll talk about the main card, at least for UFC 224, touch on some of the more interesting things that happened on the prelims. And with Bellator, briefly go over some of the fights on that card as well. But the main focus of yesterday night, in my opinion, was UFC 224, even though there was not a lot of hype behind this one. Unfortunate, too, because I looked at the card before, I sat down to watch it and thought, wow, this is a really well-put-together card with Lyoto Machida versus Vitor Belfort. You have John Lineker on the card and Mackenzie Dern, of course. Kelvin Gaslam versus Hanado Jacare Souza. and was a very important middleweight fight, and we'll go over that result as well. And then, of course, Amanda Nunes versus Raquel Pennington. Obviously, not a fight in which many people saw as being super competitive going into the matchup, but nonetheless, one of the best women's of MMA fighters in the world at this time. So I thought it was a good, well-put-together card, especially for the Brazilian crowd, but unfortunately it didn't look like there was much in attendance for that Brazilian card. So you really have to wonder how the UFC handled this card and promoting it not only to the pay-per-view audience, which is a little bit more understanding if they didn't go all in on this one for the pay-per-view, but you really have to see... Uh, you really have to wonder, you know, what type of pricing affected the Brazilian crowds actually buying into going to the event, and if there was a lot of promotion there, uh, it, it really does cross your mind, especially because even though Vitor Belfort is in his elder stages and is apparently retired at this point now, um, you know, he is still a superstar in Brazil, um, so that that was a little surprising. But nonetheless, let's get to the fight card, the main event fight card for UFC 224, and I, I would get get rate this a solid B plus. So it looks like we had three three fights end by uh, submission or or knockout in the first three fights. Then you had the fight of the night, in my opinion. Kelvin Gastelum versus Hanato Jacare Souza as the co-main event. And then you had Amanda Nunes looking really dominant and finishing her opponent in the fifth round. So I'd give this a solid B+. A little bit of lack of star power. There just wasn't that special quality of this fight card. So that's what demotes it a little bit. As well as, you know, the main event was good, but it wasn't one of those that you just felt like you had to had to see. It felt like one of those where you kind of understood what was going to happen um, but you watch it just to see if that's how it would play out. So, nonetheless, let's get into the main event. Amanda Nunes versus Raquel Pennington. Amanda Nunes defeating Raquel Pennington by TKO elbows and punches in the fifth round at 2.36, uh, stopped by Mark Goddard. So, that was a good stoppage, of course, and we'll talk about Raquel Pennington having told her corner right before round five started that she did not she did not feel like she could go any longer. She said she was done, and then her corner telling her no, 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 and almost basically convincing her to keep fighting, which is an issue in itself, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Talking about the fight itself, I thought early on Raquel Pennington had a, a pretty smart game plan, 
be counter aggressive to Amanda Nunes. Don't let her just be the only aggressor. You got to go in and get your own shots and, and be aggressive, have confidence in your chin. Raquel Pennington, we know, is someone that has a lot of durability. Um, you know, with her, and it had been quite some time, so I think it was important for her to establish her game plan. But I think one of the issues right away that happened for Raquel was that even though she has some pretty good technique with her boxing, maybe even cleaner than Amanda, she's not athletic. She's not as athletic as Amanda. So when Amanda first kicked her leg and she kind of uh, wobbled on it, and then um, she just kept going over and over to the leg. That really played uh, a real ro key role. That really played a real key role in Amanda in Raquel Pennington not being able to move around as well as she wanted to. I think once that happened, she kind of got stuck on the cage too much. I think that she would have been in that position, you know, a decent amount throughout the night. I just think that she would have been able to take it other places of the octagon more so. In, the, in that fight if she had not been so affected by that leg kick. So I thought that was a very smart uh, weapon and tool for Amanda Nunes to use early on. Raquel Pennington did have decent mobility, but again, when you, you're already at an athleticism, athleticism de deficit as Raquel was against Amanda, who was, Amanda is clearly the better athlete in this situation. You definitely don't want to be hindered like that in that situation, especially considering that, yes, Amanda sometimes can be a little bit inaccurate with her striking, but she also lands with much more authority with her strikes. She's got good wrestling as well. She's not going to be the easiest person to take down, as we saw in later in the fight, as Raquel kept trying to go for takedowns, and I think she was only like 1 for 11. That's at one point with the takedowns, um, so she wasn't very successful, and um, I think another key role in this fight was that Amanda was just a, had a little bit more pop on her, and she was able to land those leg kicks, and in result, I think was able to outstrike her with her with her hands as well. I think one of the other keys in this fight was that the real damage that was done to Raquel wasn't really with the uh, boxing exchanges. It was more so with some of those brutal knees that Amanda was landing later on in the fight that potentially could have injured uh, Raquel Pennington's nose. She had a cut and that opened up for sure and um, definitely had some blood sp spattering out of course as well. And the real key was that Amanda was able to get that uh, that plum clinch and really go right up the middle with her knees hit her flush in the face and that did a lot of damage to Raquel Pennington whereas when Raquel would get Amanda in the clinch she wasn't being as offensively effective in the in the sense that she was just getting her up against the cage just trying to take her down but she was never landing any significant strikes on Amanda so it was really just over and over failed attempts at getting Amanda to the ground, whereas when they got in close and Amanda was taking the offensive, she actually did land some real damage, and I think that was a big key to this fight. Again, I think the reason why we all went into this fight thinking that Amanda would win is because she's the superior athlete, she's got better punching power, she's well-rounded in all areas of the game. I think that Raquel Pennington has the type of tools and the type of strategy to beat a girl like Amanda Nunes, but it was just clear that she was not on the same level again um, as as a world class athlete with her athleticism, as well as just she wasn't able to take those leg kicks early on 
Um, she wasn't able to take those very easy, so that really hindered her ability. Credit to Amanda with that. And then, you, with that being said, um, her her punches and her strikes just didn't matter as much as Amanda's did. Amanda landed more, and then she landed more. Uh, with more authority, of course, as well. So that was really the key to this. I think that Amanda proved in this fight that she is, you know, the second best women pound for pound in mixed martial arts right now. She's getting smarter. It's very interesting to see how much smarter she has gotten in her past two fights against Valentina Shevchenko, part two, and then now here against Raquel Pennington. Some people were saying that she has actually lost a little bit of power and that, you know, her punches weren't putting away Raquel. I actually thought that that was a little bit of a game plan, a strategy. She realized that Raquel Pennington A is going to be very difficult to put away, which Raquel is. So the fact that she was able to do it in the fifth round is a testament to how well Amanda fought last night and how brutal some of her strikes can be. But B, I also think that we had this question around Amanda early on in her early on in her career, and it was about conditioning. Is she going to be able to last to the fourth, fifth rounds? Is she even going to be able to last in the third round? If you go back, that was part of the argument for having Valentina, choosing Valentina over Amanda in the rematch in the championship fight that would go five rounds is because Amanda seemed to fade in that third round in their first fight. But now Nunes is looking a lot fresher in those fourth and fifth rounds. I believe she's conserving, taking a little bit off her punches in those four, first, second, third rounds. And that way she still has some gas in the tank in order to be able to uh, fight efficiently and very effectively in those fourth and fifth rounds. It's been very impressive to see her in those rounds in the past two fights uh, look a lot fresher than she did even in some of the third rounds that she had early on. So I just think having moved to you know, ATT, she's become a much smarter fighter. I think what's next for Amanda, you got to give her Chris Chris Cyborg. That's who you got to give her next, the 145-pound featherweight champion at this point. I, I believe Chris Cyborg still does not have an opponent as of right now. Megan Anderson is going to be fighting Holly Holm at 145. Anderson, the Australian prospect that's coming through the ranks, uh, looking to see if she can overtake Holly Holm. But if Holly Holm wins, I think it's a no-brainer. You've got to do Nunes versus Cyborg. Um, if Anderson wins, I could see that fight coming to fruition. But then you have to wonder, what do you do with Amanda at that point? If you do Anderson versus um, Chris Cyborg, what do you do with Amanda Nunes? You look down to rankings. Juliana Pena hasn't fought in quite some time because she's been out uh, due to being pregnant and, uh, you know, giving birth and, and whatnot. I'm not sure where she is along that timeline right now if she already has given birth, but she's been um, busy with that, of course. Then you have Ketlin Vieira, who's looked really, really good, and then Jermaine Durand to me. So, I mean, you're talking about those being the the uh, fighters in contention for your for uh, Amanda Nunes next, and I think Jermaine actually just got booked to fight Katz and Gano, so even she's booked up. So I think this is a perfect time. Both divisions are very shallow, of course, with 145, not even... This is going to be the first fight between Megan Anderson and Holly Holm where there's not a championship uh, on the line, so that's a, that should tell you a lot about how shallow that division it is almost non-existent. They don't even have a women's featherweight 
uh, ranking section on UFC.com. For women's bantamweight, it's just very thin right now. I would like to see it play out a little bit. They need to start developing new talent in that bantamweight division, especially since some of that that talent has fled to flyweight, of course. So with that being said, this is a perfect time for it to happen. And I also view it as being a very competitive fight. I think it's very interesting, especially now. Both of these women are so similar in their physicality. They both can be overwhelming with their athleticism, their physicality, with their power. But now they're both getting a lot smarter with the way with the ways in which they fight as well. Uh, the same way that I said Amanda Nunes is improving with her IQ and her ability to just be smart in that octagon, Chris Cyborg showed some of the tra- same um, same attributes in her last fight against Holly Holm. I was very impressed with how patient she was and with how solid she's how solidly she stuck to the game plan uh, behind coach Jason Perillo. Since both of those women have gotten to those teams and coaches, they've done, I I think they've done wonders for both fighters in making them not only a well-rounded fighter, but also just understanding what they should be doing, how they should go about strategizing, and what game plan they should be following. So with that being said, that's what I would like to see next, a super fight. At 145, of course, I don't think Chris Cyborg can make that weight at 135. If Nunes is able to beat Cyborg, that would be just incredible. And you have to wonder if that would finally be the launching pad for her to get uh, a little bit of stardom, considering that she would have then beaten the three biggest stars, essentially three of the four biggest stars in women's MMA, because the four biggest stars in women's mixed martial arts in the UFC women's era is Holly Holm, Chris Cyborg, Ronda Rousey, and Misha Tate. If she defeats Chris Cyborg, she'll have defeated three of the four with the likelihood of defeating a fourth in Holly Holm if she were able to get that uh, fight under her belt too. So you would have to really wonder if she'd finally start to get the momentum that she deserves. I think that uh, her post-fight speech uh, allowed for them, for the audience to see a different side of her, a little bit of a softer side. So it'll be interesting to see if she creates more fans going forward with that. Um, but also a little bit interesting that she did not call out Chris Cyborg on the mic, as I could tell from what I could tell. So it'll be very interesting to see what they do going forward with that next. For Raquel Pennington, I thought that she put forth a really good effort. She's a dog. I mean, she she really goes for it. She really um, goes in there, bites down on her mouthpiece, and gives it her all. I mean, she has the type of determination that improves a fighter the way that she has improved. No one ever thought that she was going to be in this position. But now let's talk about that corner um, advice and how bad that was. So here's my stance on this whole thing. Obviously, clearly, there's no doubt about it, 100%. That was the wrong thing for the coach to do. Even though Tisha Torres, the fiancé, I believe, of Raquel Pennington, who's also an elite strawweight fighter in the UFC top five, I, I believe, and Raquel Pennington both came out and said, we stand behind the corner and the team, you know, convincing me to go back out there. Obviously, clearly, um, maybe there's some loyalty there, but I don't believe that that was the right thing for them to do. I believe that what should have happened is that when Raquel Pennington said, I want to stop fighting, they should have listened to her. Maybe, at most, just say, look, you 
you know your own fighters. I don't know Raquel Pennington. So would I have had a problem if they had said, are you sure, do you really want to stop it? And if she had said yes, then they stop it. Or if she had said, you know what, no, I'll keep going. I don't think that I would have a problem with that. What the issue is, is that she kept saying that she wanted to stop it. And they were like, no, 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 no. They were like desperate. Like, you see everything coming in. We'll recover after the fight. And, you know, it's easy for them to say because they're not actually in the fight, taking the punishment, taking the abuse. And unfortunately, what happened here. It was worst case scenario. She goes back out there, tough, durable fighter in Raquel Pennington, and ends up getting finished by ground and pound and just uh, dropping a lot more blood than what would have been dropped had she not uh, been in there for that extra round and taken a lot more dam damage. So it ended by stoppage anyways, and she didn't have much of a chance. Now, some people are going to say, well... You never know. You always have, you know, a puncher's chance, and that's fine. There's nothing. I understand that, but I'm just saying that the issue here is that she clearly wanted out of the fight. They clearly were against that, did not approve her wishes, and I think that that's bad cornering at that point in time. I don't believe that. Maybe this is going to be a learning moment in mixed martial arts because it is very rare for a coach to turn. To, to throw in the towel or to say, no, we're done, we're done, on the stool in mixed martial arts as opposed to in boxing. But you have to think at some point that has to change. And if certain fighters don't want it that way, that's fine. If they go, hey, unless I tell you to stop and that I want to stop, don't throw in the towel, I even understand that a little bit, right? Because the corner's just going off of their fighter's wishes. But when the fighter is literally in the moment saying, I am done. I cannot take anymore. You have to stop it. So should this guy be fired? Should this? Should she change coaches? I don't know. That's not for me to say. I mean, if she wants to stick with the guy, then she can stick with the guy. I wouldn't personally choose someone like that that would uh, go against my well wishes, and then I go out there and get, you know, pummeled even more, more so than I already was, or that was necessary because I was willing to stop the fight right then and there. Um, so that's my personal preference. I, I, you know, any suspensions, I don't know how all that stuff plays out. I, I don't think that the commissions can really do anything about it. That's the interesting thing about it as, as well. Some people are like, well, the commission should suspend them. Well, why? I mean, you know, if the fighters are already coming out and saying they support uh, what they, what the corner was saying, then you know, what cause do you have to actually suspend this guy? So I'm just hoping that this is a learning experience for all coaches that are in the corners of these elite athletes that are going up against other elite athletes in a sport in which the goal is to finish and take the will out of your fighter, out of the opponent. And that's what happened to Raquel Pennington. She was finished, her will had been taken, and she was done. She should have been able to stop right then and there. And a guy sitting outside of the cage whether it's a former fighter, not a former fighter, should not be able to say, oh, well, you know, we can do it, we can recover later. I just think it was a little bit gross. Um, it was hard to watch, and, and it's just embarrassing, in my opinion, if you're that coach. If he doesn't feel that way, then I would recommend that she really do uh, t take a long look in the mirror at herself and see, 
what what is it that I want out of my coach? What do I want from them? What what should I expect from them going forward? And then decide if that's the guy for her or not. But that's going to be her decision. I will say, like I said, it, this has been the culture. So I'm not sure that he would be the only guy to do this. But it absolutely cannot happen again. If it were to ever happen again, or if this was the second time he's ever done it, or if he's been a multiple offender of this, then he should absolutely not be in the sport because that that is pretty um that is pretty pretty disgusting in my opinion that you wouldn't respect the wishes of your fighter who you're supposed to look after, who you're supposed to care about. There was a video of Nate Marquardt um, saying he was done, and there was no hesitation with his coach saying, "Oh yeah, the fight's over." You know, that's what you should do. If your fighter is telling you you're, they're done, it's kind of like retirement. If someone's thinking about retiring, they should go ahead and retire. That's what most people say in mixed martial arts, right? Well, if you're saying you're done in the middle of a fight, you should probably just stop the fight. What are you going to do to be successful in that fifth round if you're already thinking, well, I'm finished? So that's my read on that. Um, very unfortunate to have seen that. I think that it's pretty embarrassing for that for that for those coaches, and that they definitely need to take a look in the mirror at themselves and go, "What is it that I want from my fighters, and do I want them to take additional punishment like that?" Because you look at the end result, and it turned out very bad. So, um, just an unfortunate situation overall. But we will definitely see Raquel Pennington back. Um, you know, so impressive how much improvement she's made fight over fight um, over this long period of time. Never thought she would even be in the title fight, so that was somewhat of a win in itself. But let's see if she can stay near the top and earn another title shot. She was coming off a very long layoff due to an injury that she had uh, after suffering a car accident, of course. So it'll be interesting to see what she does going forward. And Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see her just improve on this fight as she has in the past as well. Alright, so let's go to the next fight. Kelvin Gastelum versus Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Absolutely phenomenal fight. In that first round, it was insane. It looked like Ronaldo Jacare Souza was about to uh, submit Kelvin Gastelum with an armbar. He got very, very close, and that was a very dominant round by Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Most people, a lot of people were saying, uh, I heard a 10-8 round out there. I didn't necessarily think of it as 10-8, and the reason being is because he never really successfully had the arm bar 100%, as in he didn't have the arm fully extended. He had the arm in a very threatening position for quite some time. He had Kelvin on the ground, brought him to the ground early on in that first uh, round, and then reverse position got Kelvin's back. Absolutely phenomenal, uh, fantastic jujitsu right there. That is next-level stuff when they say there's levels to these games, right? You know, Daniel Cormier likes to say that. Well, th this is a different level of jiu-jitsu that you're dealing with when you're fa facing Ronaldo Jacare Souza or even a guy like Damian Maya, right? These guys, they just need to get pull guard on you. And as long as you're on the ground, on top of them, on the bottom, they can do whatever they want to you. And that's what it looked like was going to happen in this first round against Kelvin Gaslam. Gaslam did a very good job of staying heavy on the legs of Jacare and not ever letting him extend. Got very close at the end of that first round, but was very, very um, 
close to ending. That first round was very, very close to being ended before the bell. But Kelvin Gaslam did a good job in successfully uh, staying, surviving that round and waiting until the bell sounded. And so he was clearly down by one. Some people were saying 10-8 because of how dominant it was. I wouldn't have called it a 10-8, but I guess if I'm being honest, I wouldn't have had a huge issue with it. I would say I could see it happening, but um, I didn't think it was enough for me to call it a 10-8. But then in the second and third rounds, Kelvin Gaslam was able to get his... Um, his motor moving was a little bit more well-conditioned in this fight, especially in the third round you saw that. But Hanado Jacare Souza, oh my gosh, this guy was swinging leather in this fight. It was, you know, he was coming with the heat in this fight. It like, was very impressive. Kelvin Gaslam took some big, big shots from Hanado Jacare Souza. I think what won him this fight was that in the second round, he outstruck him just a little bit more. Um, although Hanado Jacare Souza did seem to be landing some of the more effective power punches in some of these exchanges as opposed to Kelvin. And Kelvin didn't outpoint Hanaldo that um, drastically in the second round. I thought he did do enough to win that second round. And then in the third round, Jacare was clearly tired, clearly exhausted later on, saying that he felt like maybe his weight cut attributed to that um, issue in that third round. But Kelvin Gaslam was very fresh. Um, you know, he did appear to be tired because this was a really, really good fight, really back-and-forth fight in which both people took, both competitors took a lot of damage. Um, it tended, they both wore it pretty well, to be honest. The only reason why you could tell Jacare had taken some punishment was because he was having a tough time with his conditioning. But, um, yeah, fantastic fight here. I thought Kelvin Gaslam definitely took it in that third round. Again, t t absorbing some real heavy hitters from Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Um, I've got to say this about Ronaldo. Give him credit, man. I mean, after that Robert Whitaker loss in which he wasn't able to get Robert to the ground, Robert was able to stuff the takedowns and then really able to piece him up and knock him out on the feet. You really thought to yourself, okay, maybe Jacare is taking a step back in this sport. And uh, maybe he has a little bit. It's potentially true. But I thought that this was less so showing of that. And then also he defeated Derek Brunson in spectacular uh, fashion. He was very competitive in this fight. And some people scorecards. He even won this fight. So I don't think Jacare took a step back. I just think that we have to look at Robert Whitaker at this point. Who we haven't seen in quite some time. And just think about. Man that dude is the real deal at middleweight. The middleweight champion right now. I mean to make Ronaldo Jacare Souza look like that. I thought going into this fight. Kelvin Gastelum would do something similar. Because his conditioning is fantastic. He's got very good wrestling. I thought he would be able to keep the fight off the ground. And um. You know, I thought that his striking was clearly going to be better than Ronaldo's, but this was a very, very close, cont closely contested fight. A lot of people are saying this was probably Ronaldo's last chance for a title shot. Let's take a look at these rankings right now, and then we'll talk about Kelvin as well. But, you know, for, for Jacare, I mean... There's Luke Rockhold, Chris Weidman waiting the wings. If he's able to get a matchup against one of those two guys and go to victory over them, he's back right back into the top three, into the top two uh, contenders again, in my opinion, because 
Behind Jacare right now is Jacare, Luke Rockwell, Chris Weidman, Kelvin Gaslam. Um, so I believe that it'll probably go Yoel Romero one. Then you'll have it'll probably be. Uh, it's a little bit tough to figure out. You'll probably have some sort of, you know, Chris Weidman, Luke Luke Rockwell, Chris Weidman two or three, and then Kelvin Gaslam ahead of Jacare um, at number four or something like that. But if he's able to get a win over Chris Weidman or Luke Rockhold, he could be right in the back into the mix. So um, don't just don't count him out just yet. He did take a lot of punishment in this fight, but he dished out quite a bit himself. Uh, for Kelvin, man, what a, what a chin this guy has. I mean, he absorbed some monster shots. Great conditioning, though. Just 26 years old is at that time in his life where he's going to absorb some of this punishment better than a guy like Jacare, who's around 38 at this point. So um, he can't rely on that, um, you know, forever. And again, against a guy like Joel Romero, against a guy like uh, Robert Whitaker, you're not going to want to. So he's got to be careful with that going forward for sure. But again, his conditioning proved to. Um, be very successful for for him. He looked uh, pretty big compared to to Hanado. I mean, Hanado was def- definitely bigger, but he didn't look out of sorts as a middleweight in in that fight in that contest. And I thought that he would have trouble with guys like this in the middleweight division if he uh, stick stuck it out in this division. But especially considering if he's going to go against a guy against like Robert Whitaker for a title shot. You know, both of those guys were former welterweights, so it's not that big a size difference if that were to happen next. But Kelvin Gaslam, a very good performance here. Definitely won 29-28 in my opinion, and that's how it came out. Uh, split decision. But I, what's next for him? It's Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero. I, couldn't, I can't believe that I'm going to say this, especially considering that he lost to Chris Weidman. Um, just a few fights ago, uh, Chris needs to get in there, needs to get a fight over one of these top guys right now. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know who you do it f- with, but since since Gaslam has gone up in weight, he won against Johnny Hendricks, Tim Kennedy, defeated Vitor Belfort that was overturned to a no contest because he had failed a uh, marijuana drug test, and then he lost a to Chris Weidman via submission arm triangle choke and he then defeated former champion Michael Bisping and then defeated Hanado Jacare Souza. With that being the case, he may have a case for already um, jumping Chris Weidman who defeated him three fights ago but since has only had that win and before was on a three fight losing streak. Only way I see Chris Weidman getting the nod over Kelvin Gaslam is if he's able to get another fight or two in between um, that fight, and if Yoel Romero defeats Robert Whitaker, and that goes to a trilogy, then I could see Chris Weidman get in that fight before uh, Kelvin Gaslam. But if Whitaker ends up be defeating Romero or vice versa, and they decide that they want to move on to the next challenger, I could definitely see Kelvin Gaslam getting that title shot next. I think he's deserving of it. I think um, even with that Chris Weidman loss, it's kind of tough to shuffle the. Um, to to play the cards exactly right in this situation, but I think that that's what you want to do next, and boy, that would be a fantastic fight. I think you'd be on the, the underdog. I would expect the other competitor to win, but boy, would it be something if he was able to come out on top. He definitely has the conditioning, the tools. He's just 26, so he's not even in his prime fully just yet, so it's definitely a competitive matchup, one that I would like to see.
next fight, Mackenzie Dern versus Amanda Bobby Cooper. Um, yeah, there's not much to say about this fight. I mean, Mackenzie Dern came out. Amanda Cooper was very confident that she was going to be the much better striker. May have taken it for granted a little bit. Got hit with a huge overright hand, I believe, and that led to a big, uh, you know, knockdown in which Mackenzie Dern got on top or got her back or I, I believe she got her in the mount, and then she transitioned to the back, and that's all she wrote. I mean, that's all she needed. For Mackenzie Dern, all she needs to get it to the ground and play her submission game. That's all she needs, and that's exactly what she did. She looked better with her striking in this fight. A lot of people were saying, oh, we didn't really learn that much. You know what? That's fine. If you didn't learn that much from it, that's fine. I feel like I learned a little bit. She was able to stay a little bit more composed with her striking. She wasn't as wild. Her exchanges in her striking, her striking exchanges weren't as long as in her previous fight. And why that matters is because she's clearly not a very technical fighter when it comes to her striking base right now. And with that being said, you don't want to just string along three, four, five punches and leave yourself wide open to get countered. In this fight, it was more like one or two Still leaving yourself to get countered, but she was throwing with some heat, get, uh, giving a little bit of caution to her opponent, but then she was uh, stopping, right? So she was resetting. She was trying to keep her distance a little bit better, I thought. And with that being said, I thought that she put herself in a better position not to get countered, not to get hit with some haymakers on the other end. And, um, you know, then when she gets it to the ground, she's a magician. She's a master. She's the Ronaldo Jacare Souza of women, you know, Damian Maya of women, right? You get it to the ground, it's going to be tough to get back up against her. She is going to have so many weapons and tools in her bank, uh, in her bag to, to pull out when it gets to that ground game right there. Um, you know, she's probably going to end up being a better submission artist, well-rounded, a well, better well-rounded submission artist than Ronda Rousey was because she's not just going to rely on one tool, which was that arm bar. She may not get as many submissions as Rousey did in her career, um, but she's going to have a lot more opportunities with the type of positions that she's in. So this is definitely a prospect to continue to watch, uh, you know, improve and grow, but there are some real weight concerns with her. She came in seven pounds over the limit, not over the 115 pound limit. Keep in mind, over 117, 16 pound limit because they give you that one extra pound in non title fights, right? So that is where it's very, very concerning because she came in at 123 pounds, two pounds less than she would than a flyweight would be. Some flyweights compete at 123 pounds, especially when it's championship weight because they try to knock off a couple extra pounds. So that was very embarrassing to me. I think this is her third time missing weight, and she has missed it badly. And I think what's most embarrassing about this is it feels like she's not putting in the effort. The reason why, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead this off with a disclaimer, I'm not body shaming. This is purely from an athletic, um, this is purely athletically that I'm talking about. She's, uh, you know, a beautiful woman, and, you know, anyone can be their type of body type, and I'm not a good in-shape person myself. This is just about looking at a fighter and seeing how that they can improve. We look at Kelvin Gaslam and go, guy, 
you've got to lose some of that body mass. You've got to shed some of that weight if you're going to be at 170. You've got to cut. You've got to lean out. There's clearly room for you to lose weight in the off season, so that when you get to that 170 pound cut, you're already starting at a much better advantage than you were in the past because. Kelvin Gaslam carries extra weight with him. You can see it on his body. You can see the exact same thing with Mackenzie Dern, in my opinion. Again, not body shaming at all. I'm looking at this purely as an athlete who, in my opinion, is not taking full advantage of the weight of her training, of the of her diets, and, and things of that nature, right? We all used to wonder, what would Roy Nelson be if he were to cut, you know, all that weight off, right? He would be a fantastic talent at like middleweight or light heavyweight possibly. And could you imagine his power carrying over into those divisions, right? This is what's happening with Mackenzie Dern. It feels like unless she has some sort of condition or her body just naturally looks like that, it feels like to me she's carrying extra weight that she does not need to be carrying. And why is she doing that? That is a sign of being lazy, in my opinion. If that's wrong, then I'm wrong. I don't know. She Again, could it be a medical condition? Could she have had an injury? I'm not sure, but if that's the case, then why even attempt to cut that weight if you're going to miss it by 7 pounds? She weighed in one hour before the time limit, uh, expired for you to wait in, wait in, weigh in. So if that's the case, you'd even try for that last hour to at least get it to within two pounds, within three pounds. And you know, I've seen a lot. Of people, I'm not asking for anyone to be on death's door whenever it comes to weight cutting, but with seven pounds, and then you look as you know pretty normal and jovial as you did. Gotta question it. Gotta question it. There's been some weird stories about how. You know, John Crouch, I believe, in Arizona, invited her to leave the gym. Very interesting. We've got to watch this going forward. She's a very young in her career right now. Um, fantastic for her that she won again. She's 25 years old, and she is 7-0, and so she's clearly got so much talent in her bank right now. But... It, she really is going to have to improve with that. I think that she needs to show a little bit more, de- a lot more dedication to her craft, and um, even so, a lot more dedication to her dietary needs and her, uh, you know, her weight cutting needs, her conditioning needs. Um, to me, clearly, just looking at her, it feels like there's um, some room for her to to lose that weight, to lose some excess fat that maybe she doesn't need, that, that she could easily get rid of, and maybe that in itself would solve the issue altogether. Some people have been asking, should he go she should she go to 125? Absolutely not. I do not think she's big enough to compete at that weight class. I think that that would be a real problem with her. And I think there's a reason why she has not decided to go to 125 at this point and why she continues to want to stick at straw weight. But nonetheless, phenomenal talent. Better get that weight um weight cut under control, has to get that under control, especially because she doesn't look like Joanna Janjacek, who is clean, who is super cut with her weights, but does everything that she can to make that weight, and it's literally a struggle for her, because she doesn't have much room to work with. When you look at Mackenzie Dern, it's just a fact, it looks like there is some to work with before you even start getting into training camp that she could lose some of that extra fat. So let's see what happens. Um, 
I'm still confident in her career. I think that she's going to be an amazing talent, but she just needs to take things a little bit more seriously. I do wonder if there was some sort of injury or illness or mental medical issue because she talked about wanting some time off because she had had four fights in a very close succession, which she did. I thought it was sort of a bad idea for her to have a fight this quickly after her UFC debut. Fortunately for her and the UFC, it went very well other than the weight cut, but I do think that she needs some time off. I think that it's May 13th right now. Let's not see her fight until the end of November sometime in December. She needs to um, you know, focus on those things that we've already talked about, but also clearly still needs to get better as a fighter. Still only 25 years old, very young in her career. I think she's probably making better money than most people would at this point in their career. So um, that shouldn't be a huge issue, although money is always a factor, no doubt about it. But I think that she does need to improve in a lot of areas with her striking, still taking down people that way she can use her best weapons to her advantage of course and uh let's you know dedicate this time to recover train get, talk about your diet talk about your weight cut talk about um what you want to do before the camps during the camps uh, right before the weight cut everything like that and see what news tools and and skills that you can learn from from that time as well because she still is very raw and as a prospect um but we have time with her so let's see her work a little bit less of a uh, a busy schedule until she hits about 27 28 and then we can really get her career going if she's still on that right track all right next fight john lineker versus brian kelleher fantastic fight John Lineker is a fire hydrant. It's super tough to take down. Brian Kelleher, every time he tried to take down John Lineker, um, wasn't happening. Just wasn't happening. Once Brian Kelleher figured out that that wasn't going to happen, he was just looking to counter. He felt John Lineker's power very early on in that first round, and from that point forward, had a lot of respect for that power and just had no answer for John Lineker. Lineker was at landing the better shots, landing more shots, a lot heavier shots, of course, and I think that that made Kelleher hesitant. I thought that Kelleher was going to either have to knock out Lineker or get knocked out himself because I thought the only way for him to win this fight is bite down on his mouthpiece and really go for it because he just was clearly not having success fighting on the outside trying to counter Lineker. Lineker is so quick for 135 because he was a former 125 pounder and even though he was one of the slower 125 pounders um, even even so he's still going to be pretty quick at 135 he's not going to have that va advantage over all the bantamweights in the division but clearly in this case it seemed like he did even with his loopy and wind up punches too and then on top of that he was landing some vicious body body shots i mean he was going i can't get you to the head because you're taller you're a little bit rangier you're fighting on the outside that's fine all you're protecting is your head anyways because you felt my power and you're afraid of getting knocked out i'm just going to mark up that body as much as i can that really i think that a lot in hindering Kelleher's ability to get out of the way of some of these punches in, later in that second and third round and then Lannikirk just came over with a huge punch uh, a big left hand, I want to say, as Kelleher was scaling the fence, uh, or not scaling, he was, um, you know, kind of um, circling around along the fence line, trying to get away from Lineker, and then the lights just went, just went clear out, uh, clear as day, um, fantastic performance by John Lineker, Kelleher fought 
um, you know, tough in this fight. He was trying to get his game plan implemented. He just failed in doing so. It wasn't for a lack of trying. He even tried to counter effectively, but he just wasn't the better fighter on this night in this fight. John Lineker proved that he was the better fighter. So fantastic win for John Lineker. Fantastic um, ability for him to actually get the finish against a guy who he even said himself was like, man, at that point in the fight, I was just like, I'm not finishing this guy. This guy is just super tough, and he got it done. So very impressive, exciting finish to that fight for John Lineker. Let's see who he should fight next. I mean, you've got Marlon Marias versus Jimmy Rivera coming up. You've got Cody Garbrandt versus TJ Dillashaw also coming up. So, um... Rafael Sunsell, let's check to see, is he fighting someone right now? I'd be interested to check. There's also Dominic Cruz, but he's on the shelf and on the mend right now, and I do feel that they may want to save Dominic uh, for one of those, for a guy like uh, Marlon Marias or Jimmy Rivera, or you may be, maybe the winner of that, or possibly for the Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw winner as well. Okay, so Rafael Sunsau is going to be fighting Rob Font next. That's actually a very good card, a very good fight at UFC 226. Um, but you know what? I think that Rafael Sunsau is the right answer for John Lineker. But if he's fighting Rob Font, he's taken up right now. Um, I suppose you could do Sterling versus Lineker, but you know what? I might just wait to see what happens with that Asuncell versus um, Rob Font fight. Uh, maybe the winner of that fights John Lineker. That that would be a fantastic fight either way. It'd be really interesting to see how Asuncell, with his well-rounded game plan, is able to affect uh, or impact John Lineker. Or if John Lineker's power is going to be too overwhelming. And then Rob Font, that would just be a firefight of a fight right there in that 135-pound division. But a lot to be excited about in the bantamweight decision, uh, division. That is a very stacked division at this point. So let's see what happens going forward. Next fight, Lyoto Machido versus Vitor Belfort in what was a true Brazilian Legends fight, and this was as simple as it gets. I thought Machida did a pretty good job of countering Belfort in that first round. Belfort landed some decent shots of his own, but was really struggling to get in those patented Vitor Belfort blitzes and, and really get, you know, that power landing and whatnot. So that was a tough thing for Lioto Machida to... Uh, so that was tough for Vitor. Um, he wasn't really able to get any momentum going, and he was trying to be very, very careful against Lyoto, not trying to get caught with anything too much. But that's exactly what happened. He is uh, finished by front kick in, Leo, in spectacular Lyoto Machida fashion. The second time that he's ever lost by front kick, uh, the, f the first time was against Anderson Silva in that famous title fight in which he got... KO'd by that front kick, and this was just night-night, just like that one. I mean, he just crumbled to the ground, and in fact, this may have been a little bit worse. I mean, he was literally, nothing was there in the brain, and uh, Lyoto Machida didn't even have to step in to finish the fight. The referee came in immediately and stopped the fight. Very impressive by Lyoto Machida. Unfortunate ending for Vitor, if this was his, in fact, his last fight, um, wouldn't count on it actually being his last fight. He actually made a little bit more of a symbol, had a little bit more symbolism 
with it and actually leaving his gloves inside the octagon, but I really wish he would have gone out with that win over Nate Marquardt in that by unanimous decision because it hasn't been good for him as of late. But nonetheless, he decided to um, uh, end it on this one, and it just didn't go his way. For Lyoto Machida, have to wonder what's next for him. Spectacular um, finish to this fight. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really see any changes or differences in his game that's going to be able to, uh, you know, promote him to that next level. But you could do, let's see here, you got Brad Tavares, he's going to face Israel Adesanya. I don't want him fighting. I mean, maybe you do the Michael Bisping fight. If, if Bisping's interested in fighting, I think that Machida has a little bit of star power. Uh, reinvigorated, like, he's a little bit rein, reinvigorated a little bit right now, there's a little bit of momentum with him, the fans were going wild over that, that was a real highlight moment, maybe you do another Legends fight where you do Lyoto Machida versus Michael Bisping and see if Machida can t continue send these guys into retirement the wrong way, and uh, that, that would be a, a favorable matchup, in my opinion, for Michael Bisping. I think that he would enjoy that matchup as well. So, uh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do Michael Bisping, Lyoto Machida next, and uh, see if we can get something fun out of that, if Michael Bisping is willing and able to uh, fight one more time. Uh, Cesar, just to touch on the prelims, there was a lot of good action here as well. Cesar Ferreira uh, defeating Carl Roberson by... Uh, technical submission arm triangle choke so you know just showing his dominance with his grappling once again it feels like Cesar Fajara is really coming into his own finally uh, let's check his record a little bit I mean he defeated Carl Roberson and Nate Marquardt lost to Elias Theodoro but before then had defeated Jack Hermanson Anthony Smith and uh, I can't really pronounce this name oh Oluwale Bambozi. Um, so he's actually five, f has five wins in his last six fights. So um, that's a pretty good run right now. He's still, he is 33 years old getting up there. So if there's any time for him to make a run, it is right now, but it is going to be tough for him to make that run, um, you know, in the division that he's in at 185. So, but we will see what happens with him next. Um, impressive victory for him. Alexei Olenek getting another Ezekiel choke submission against Junior Albini. Uh, fantastic work by him. Again, this guy just doesn't go away. You feel like he's just he's just this old guy that's not going to do anything or be dangerous, but he just continues to get these chokes, and it's fantastic. So, Davi Hamos defeating Nick Hine by uh, submission. Another impressive performance here. Just looked absolutely dominant on the uh, on the ground, same as Cezard, uh, but good victory for him there. And then Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos, I'm sure I'm botching that name, had a fantastic KO with a spinning wheel kick. Uh, to Sean Strickland, landed it very flush. Uh, it was spectacular knockout, so if you're looking for the highlight knockout of the night, that's the one you want to go check out. Warley Alves, uh, TKO over Sultan Aliyev. It just 
here, Worley Alvarez was just able to impose his will, uh, be very much more physically dominant in the clinch against the cage, and then he just really did some real bad damage to that right eye of uh, Aliyev, of course, and it was completely shut, not even a chance that that thing was going to open, and it just looked like that one more punch and that thing was going to burst, so... Uh, I think the doctors made a good, uh, or actually the corner made the stoppage. I thought that was a good decision, uh, but Worley Alvarez looking very impressive, throwing a lot of heat and uh, looked pretty, pretty well, well versed in his game plan as well. I thought he did a good job of following that and not getting too crazy. Jack Hermanson defeating Talis Latis. Guys, go watch this fight. You'll see Talis Latis basically dominating this fight, and then Jack Hermanson finally gets into the mount after his rib had either, like, broken or popped out of place or something in, like, the first or second round, and that was really disappointing for Hermanson, but he landed some nasty ground and pound and got Talis Latis out of there, so fantastic win by him, and then Ramazan Emiv defeating Alberto Mina, by unanimous decision, and then Marcus Perez defeating James Bokchanovic uh, by submission rear naked choke. I actually missed that first fight, so I didn't really get a chance to see how that one ended, but nonetheless was a good fight card overall. Definitely the real winners out of this fight, Amanda Nunes, and then I'm going to go ahead and say Kelvin Gaslam. I think that these, guys, these two f fighters have definitely... Uh, put themselves in position to be in major, major title fights coming up next. So, a uh, fantastic night for those two and for the rest of the card. It was a very entertaining card, like I said, for a card that did not have a lot of hype behind it. I was very pleased with the outcome of, of how um, entertaining it was. So, if you miss it, go back, go ahead and take a look at it. Real quick, Bellator 199, Ryan Bader versus King Mo. Not not a whole lot to talk about this. I didn't see. I didn't see until Aaron Pico c came onto the scene. So let's talk about this real quick. Ryan Bader defeating King Mo Lawal 15 seconds in the first round. I mean, this was just as easy as it gets for Ryan Bader. Lands a huge monster punch. Mo Lawal goes down, and um, he goes on to face Ryan Matt Mitrio next. Those are the two favorites in that uh, Grand Prix heavyweight Grand Prix, in my opinion. The winner of Mitrione versus Bader will go ahead and face the winner of Fedor versus Chell Sonnen in the finals for that Grand Prix Championship. I believe that Ryan Bader is probably the favorite at this point. He seems to be a more talented striker, makes makes less mistakes than does Mitrione. Mitrione, I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, there's no telling. I mean, he's going to go against a true heavyweight, not a guy against a guy who, in my opinion, has always been a true middleweight. And let's get to that. King Mo Lawal saying, with this uh, being the outcome of this fight, he's finally going to make his way down to 185, which I thought he should have done a long, long time ago. I thought he was even outmatched uh, physically with his physical traits at the one at the 205-pound division. So, finally, we're going to see King Mo at 185. Unfortunately, I think his chin has diminished. I don't think his skills are... are ever going to be at the level they were, uh, you know, before his staph infection, some of those injuries that he had, but it'll be interesting to see if he's able to breathe new life into his career um, with that, with that, 
weight cut down to 185 and maybe setting up some potential matchups with a Gegard Musasi, Rafael Carvalho, and some of these other guys. John Fitch versus Paul Daly, very boring fight. Uh, <laughs> what can you say about John Fitch? I mean, that's what you're going to get. It's just um, it's just not fun to watch. I mean, Paul Daly, he landed some nasty strikes in the end of that first round. Looked like he may even finish John Fitch, but then the rest of the fight was just John Fitch wrestling him and uh, not really landing a whole lot of damage. Uh, it's just interesting. I mean, John, F I'm not one of these guys It's like, if you're just grappling, I hate you or anything like that, but with John Fitch, it's like, he's so happy that he wins and whatnot, and deservedly so, but it's just like, man, like, it just doesn't get a much more boring than that. I mean, Damian Maia at least puts guys away, you know? Let's take a look at John Fitch. I haven't really been paying attention to his career as much since he's been in that PFL. But, guys, look at this. Um, let's go back to UFC 156. He lost to Damian Maya, right? Since then, in the fights that he has won, these are the fights that he has won. He has one, two, three, four, five, six wins by decision, one win by submission. That's about as boring as it gets when you're just wrestling. So, unfortunately for me, would have preferred Paul Daly win, set up a matchup with Michael Venom Page, but uh, that's probably not going to happen. Most entertaining part of this fight was Paul Daly booing Bellator during his fight while he was on the ground. If uh, that sounds strange to you, go take it, check it out because it's just pretty hilarious. But he has been quite upset with the company as of late. Thought that they were putting John Fitch against him to try to make him look bad. And that's pretty much exactly what happened because, as we all know, Paul Daly has no wrestling, unfortunately. And with that being said, um, wasn't too unpredictable that this, uh, this outcome actually came to fruition. The real guy to talk about is Aaron Pico versus Lee Morrison. Guys, if you're listening to this, you don't know who Aaron Pico is. He's 21 years old, almost made it on the Olympic, U.S. Olympic team at, what was it, 19 years old? That is how talented this guy is. But he lost his first fight by submission with all that hype around him at, at Madison Square Garden against a guy in Zach Freeman who is a very experienced opponent and against a guy who was far bigger than him and he clearly was fighting at the wrong weight class, of course. Now he's moved down to 145, which is much better for him. So he lost that fight by submission after having gotten rocked in his professional debut. And again, guys, professional debut. Guys are not good in their professional debut. Go watch Conor McGregor's first fight. Go watch um, Chris Cyborg's first fight. I believe she lost her first fight, and I don't think she's lost since then. These elite MMA athletes and stars are not good at their first fight, so it's not a surprise that he lost against a guy that was that high, that was that experienced at least, considering he was, um, let's see, that was in 2017, so I believe he was 20 years old when he made that debut. So very young in his career, very young as a person, as a man. Uh, he's going to grow into his body. He's got a lot of development, a lot of uh, skill development that he still needs to learn, of course. He needs to understand what type of fighter he's going to turn into. But since then, has defeated Justin Lin by KO. Nasty KO. It was like an uppercut, and the guy just falls 
one of the worst falls from a KO that I've ever seen. You've got to go watch that KO. Then in his last two fights, he defeats um, both of his opponents by KO and TKO. One to uh, KO with the punch to the body, and that was all she wrote. And then this one hurt him with hurt Lee Morrison with a vicious punch to the body, and then got on top of him sort of to finish off with the TKO punches. So this kid is showing incredible progress with his hands. He was a Golden Gloves champ, and that's great and all, but Golden Gloves champ doesn't always um, translate to effective mixed martial arts striker. There's been plenty in the UFC where I go, oh man, Golden Gloves, he must be awesome. And then you find out like, oh yeah, but his main thing is wrestling. Well, guess what guys? Aaron Pico, his main thing is wrestling. But he's knocked out all three of his opponents in his wins with his striking. He hasn't even really wrestled that much in his mixed martial arts career. This guy is getting better and better. This has been described as the, as um, for people that are outside the MMA bubble that only watch UFC that aren't really in the know about prospects. He has been described as the LeBron James of mixed martial arts, right? Because LeBron was highly touted when he was 17. We saw him as the next coming of, you know, the great one, potentially having the ability and the talent to be considered one of the greatest fighters of all time. That's the type of hype this kid has. I'm not saying that I agree with it, but that's the type of hype that this kid has had and garnered, and it's starting to build a little bit more and more after each fight, and uh, he's slowly getting better. Um, he's still fighting low-level talent, which is exactly what they need to do. He doesn't need to be facing top-tier talent until he's about 23, 24 years old. He's still 21. Let him continue to develop. Let him continue to to learn uh, more and more skills. If he feels that he's ready for top uh, 15, like top 25 talent, then you can start giving him some of the better guys in Bellator because that 145 pound division is actually pretty, pretty uh, well rostered in that in in Bellator, right? So they actually have a good amount of talent there. Maybe you start doing that at 23, but maybe 24 is a safe age for for me. I think that you just continue to give him these fights, continue to let him improve, and if Bellator really wants a big star. Just continue him on the path that he is right now. Um, excellent job by Aaron Pico. This is the guy to watch out for in Bellator. Not just on this card from Bellator, but in Bellator. This is the guy you want to watch, Aaron Pico. And don't be surprised to see him become a big acquisition into the UFC one day. You know, when he's like 25, 26 and already held some championship reigns in Bellator. Alright, so that's all I have for y'all today regarding Bellator 199 and UFC 224. We've talked about a lot there. Let me know what your thoughts are about Raquel Pennington, um, you know, not not having her corner stop the fight when she asked for it to be. Um, what do you think is next for Amanda Nunes, Kelvin Gaslam? More importantly, what do you think is next for Kelvin? That That's going to be an interesting one. Do you think he deserves the title shot over Chris Weidman, or should Chris Weidman get that that? Uh, title shot because he has that win over Kelvin, even though he's won uh, only one out of his last four fights. So that's going to be an interesting debate. And then also, Aaron Pico, do you believe this guy is the LeBron James of MMA? I'd like to hear your opinion on that. At Sabata MMA on Twitter, let me know if you have any comments, questions, or concerns. 
just let me know. And um, we'll talk about it there, and we can talk about it on the next episode of the MMA Fresh Take podcast. These will be coming out a little bit more regular um, than they have been in the past few weeks. Um, I, we, I did miss a lot, especially a massive Kevin Lee performance that we will have to talk about go, you know, going up to his next fight whenever that fight does get made um, for his next upcoming fight. But nonetheless, let me know what y'all think at Zapata MMA on Twitter. Uh, go ahead and click that subscribe button. And until then, guys, have a good night. Bye.